Hello, welcome to Boss Women, a podcast about women, comedy and business. My name's Katie and this is my mum, Karen. Mama said there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, Mama said, Mama said. How are you, Mum? Oh, I'm all right. You've done that on almost every podcast. I know. I'm not stopping. It's because I'm at home alone, and then I get some people to talk to, and you know, I just go, "Ah, oh, help!" No, yeah. everything's fine. I mean, uh, Groundhog Day—that's all I've got to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we have a wonderful guest today, so I'm very With excited you. about it. Um, I'd like to introduce everyone to Orla O'Loughlin. She is the Vice Principal and Director of Drama at Guildhall School of Drama. Uh, she was the Artistic Director at the Traverse from 2012 to 2018 and also was the International Associate of the Royal Court. The Observer listed Orla as one of the top 50 cultural leaders in the UK. My <laughs> God, she's an important lady. Well, is indeed welcome, Orla. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to see your faces. I know. I know. I know. A shame we're not in the same room, but yeah, these are the times. These are the times, but you're both looking very well, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> looking good. Especially showered, and uh, Karen's got a lippy on. Well, yeah. looking good. The pair of you looking good. How are you, Orla? Are you all right? I'm all right, thanks. The... The sun is shining in Edinburgh, which always makes such a difference. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's yeah. amazing. Although we can't go outside, whatever's happening outside, what the sky looks like, how much light there is, has such a massive effect on my yeah. mood. So it's today is a good day. The yeah. only thing is, it's gone so cold again. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, you know, it's just... But, but it does, in lockdown, I mean, you've been in lockdown now, Two months, have you? Two months. I left London on the 17th of March. <gasps> oh, my and, um, wow. Yeah. And so I've been home, working from home since then. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just thank goodness that there's Zoom. Uh -huh. I, I, I would really go mad if I wasn't seeing people every day. Yeah, yeah. yeah you would. Yeah, yeah. So, Katie, are you going to go for the first question or shall I? <laughs> yes, not that you're being bossy mum or anything. Um, <laughs> well, boss woman, you know. <clears throat> uh, yes, I'll start. I'll start us off. So we're going to go back to your childhood and find out a bit more about you. Um, tell us about where you grew up and uh, everything to do with uh, we Orla. <laughs> we Orla. Um, I, was, Orla. I was born in West London in, uh, in 1973. Uh, and I'm um, so I'm first generation. My parents were Irish immigrants who came over from the west coast of Ireland in the late 60s. Oh, really? And um, they came over with nothing. Like they were economic migrants. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I was born some years later, and we lived in a little flat in West London. And um, they didn't talk much really about those early years before I came along, but I know they struggled to find accommodation because it was yeah. the time of no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. Yeah. And, um, so and they, they were called Paddy. All of them were called Paddy. All of that, you know, all of it was, it, it was that time. Mm -hmm. And um, they, they did say that when they finally got somewhere to stay, um, when they arrived, they had no furniture, <laughs> oh and their and their neighbour came to the door to find out who was living there, and and asked where their furniture was, and they didn't have any, so they gave them a garden chair. So that was the first thing they had was a garden chair. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> but by oh the God. time I came along, my mum had been working um, for the bank. She got a job in London, and my dad um, started training as an architect part time. So he worked for the council and trained as an architect. And this was in, in the days of the GLC when education was something that was available to everybody. Yeah. And, um, and so they could afford to support a family through my mum's wage um, 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 for my dad to train. But when I remember, when I think back to my early years, my mum was, um, she was up early. She was gone, yeah. she was gone to work. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, and I remember 
my first contact with her would be on the phone. She'd call me when she got to work. Really? Yeah, often because I did not want to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> and so she'd be ringing up to say what she'd bring home for me if I went to school. A chocolate bar. Bribing you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was my dad who got me up, made my boiled egg, brushed my hair and oh. walked me to school. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he'd train during the day, work during the day. Were you an only child? I, I wasn't, no. My sister was born when I was eight. So I spent the first, a good bit of my childhood ostensibly as an only child. But now I have a sister called Lucy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to a little local school, a little school down the road. And um, I didn't love school, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Until I found out that I could make people laugh, I think. And that's when I got into thinking about acting yeah. and singing. And how old were you that when you realised that? Mm, I, I, think. I think it might have coincided with the arrival of my sister. Mm. Oh, yeah. That there was something about having another sibling that meant I had to... You had to make it. yourself known. Maybe, yeah. I, yeah. I then had to make sure some light stayed on me. Yeah. yeah. So it might have been around that time then I became a little bit more animated and... Uh, disruptive (laughs) (laughs) so yeah they were my early early years I don't think there's anything wrong with being disruptive it means that you're that you're engaged you're interested and yeah you want attention or Mm. you know it didn't I mean I don't it didn't go down so well with my parents because it's that classic immigrant thing that they wanted me to work hard they wanted me to do well you know Mm -hmm. the value of education so um, I don't think my parents would have, would have agreed with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so how did that kind of progress into being a teenager and having to, you know, study and do proper exams? Yeah. And yeah was that well, harder? Were you, were you a rebellious teenager? I kind of was and I wasn't. I, um, I enjoyed secondary school. I went to an all-girls school, mm. an old convent school. It was a comprehensive school, but it was a very liberal place and we had mostly female teachers and they I did nearly all art subjects I didn't have to do science if I didn't want to do science so I did drama and music and English um, and Mm. history and and so I I felt I was able to swim in the kind of waters that I was comfortable and happy in and I had some really good friends um and I joined a youth theatre around that time, and that's when everything really changed for me. I found my tribe, you know, yeah. I found my people. Yeah. And that, that youth theatre on a Sunday really was kind of the making of me. And um, Did you oh, yeah. act yourself? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought I would, I would be an ac- actor. That was what I wanted to do, to be an actor or a singer or both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Yeah. I did a lot of acting mm-hmm. and had a lot of fun. So what changed? What, what changed that you went into directing? Um, I think what changed was I realised that I probably was too self-conscious and ultimately therefore not good enough to make it as an actor. Right. That I was always very self-aware. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and there's something about the lack of control probably about being an actor that um, being a director is all about having a sense yeah. of control and responsibility discussed. But, and also I, um, when I left school, I went to study theatre at university. I didn't really understand or know that there were drama schools. And yeah, I thought like- if I go and study drama at university, that's what you do if you like drama. But of course it was like a history degree. It was very dry and academic, and um, I left there and became a school teacher because that was a sensible thing to do to make a living, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, some money. I'm sure your parents were very proud. Did you? Well, were you? Sorry. So I think so. Yeah. Your mum, she used to phone you in the morning to make sure she went to you went to school, but then yeah. at weekends you must have been together, and you know. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you learn to cook from her, or did you learn anything from her, or? Um, I think what my mum, my mum is a brilliant cook, actually, but I um, I never really engaged 
with her in the kitchen. I enjoyed what she provided. Like she'd make a loaf of bread every day wow. and stews and cakes. She had a real sense. She still has what she gave me, I think was a real sense of occasion. Yeah. Birthday parties. She'd make a hedgehog cake or a, a castle cake. Um, Halloween, we'd go all out and yeah. we'd be dunking apples. And Christmas was just the build up to Christmas was the most <laughs> exciting thing. Yeah. yeah. Talking about Christmas and decorations and what we'd be eating and mm -hmm. presents under the tree that, and there would always be a candle lit as soon as it got dark in there, in our home. And that's something I've inherited every night at some point. Mm -hmm. um, just when the, when the sunsets will, will light a candle. So there's yeah, something about that. just sense of occasion marking moments mm -hmm. yeah we we are the same actually yeah it's a it's quite a, a nordic thing that we i mean i always have candles on yeah, yeah karen's on the verge of you know almost setting the whole house alight <laughs> <laughs> the amount of candles she's got it's become a small obsession but yeah we're similar in that way yeah and often that would be associated with thinking of somebody if somebody wasn't well or somebody was um having a, some trouble that you'd light a candle for them as well. So mm -hmm. were, were they religious? Yes. But yeah, very, but my mum in particular is very uh, Catholic woman. She has great faith and I suppose it is tied into that though, not directly. I suppose there's something um, around, yeah, the ritual of lighting a candle that does feel it's, it's tied in with her faith somewhere. Did, did she try and instill Catholicism into you? Um, not in any overt way. I went to Catholic schools and I would go to church on a Sunday up until the time I left home. Uh, but no, it wasn't, it never felt forced on me or uh, there, was, there wasn't a mandate. It was just, it was more of a culture, sort of a cultural thing than yeah. separate religious thing. It was just part of the community that they were part of a real London Irish community yeah and th were they political no i wouldn't say in any um not with a capital p i wouldn't <laughs> say so they just kept their heads down worked hard i mean it's interesting that they did move from ireland in the 60s wasn't yeah it? yeah it's interesting because i mean they must have been from an area that was not it was poor or was it was it that the reason um i don't know if the area was particularly deprived or poor but i think there was just less opportunity and my dad talks about what you know training as an architect um at that point you had to come to london to do that it was right. it, it wasn't something um i think you could do in dublin at the time mm. um yeah so, so he, yeah. he achieved his ambition then? He did. It took him about 10 years to do it, but he did it. That's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And so did you stay in West London for your teenage life? And what? where were you? Yeah, in West London. I mean, in the suburbs, out in Ealing. So, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. there until I went to university when I was 18. I was just 18. And, and, I and left. where did you head to university? I went to um, the University of Warwick for three years. Okay. Yeah. And then I went to University of Reading to do my postgrad to become a secondary teacher straight after yeah. that. Yeah. And did you enjoy uni, even though, or did you realise that the subject wasn't right? Or did you still enjoy it? No, I loved it. I loved being away. And um, I loved, I was in a band. I spent all my time um, acting in shows. Yeah. I saw some theatre and performance that completely blew my mind. Were you a punk? I wasn't really a punk. I don't know what you described me as. I mean, I had bleach blonde you, hair. I had bleach you romantic. Hair. You yeah. were too romantic. <laughs> I, I was a bit, yeah. I, I liked, I suppose I like to think I was trying out a more alternative persona. Mm -hmm. I got, you know, got my nose pierced, got all my ears pierced. Yeah. Yeah. I had a good time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were you a sing the singer in the band? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Do you not miss singing? Well, I, I still sing a bit, but it tends now to be at weddings and funerals. People ask me to sing. 
Oh. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah. Or if I've had a few drinks and I'm, and I'm in Ireland, like in Ireland, it's completely expected that you'll just sing. Mm -hmm. yeah. there are less yeah, opportunities here unless it's a formal cabaret event or um but less likely just to kind of be invited to sing or just burst into song yeah um but in ireland if we all get together everyone will end up singing at some point mm -hmm. yeah so do you have a lot of family still in ireland then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. huge extended family there who yeah, um, um managed to keep in close contact with so and yeah, I would spend great. every Christmas, every Easter, every summer, many half terms over on the west coast of Ireland. My dad had this little Citroen 2CV, this little car. Mm -hmm. and we would pack it with black plastic bags with our clothes in and we'd just go. You know, as soon as the <laughs> schools were out, we'd be gone because that was home. Yeah. My yeah. parents talked about home and it wasn't oh. our little flat in, you know, in the west of yeah. Ireland, uh, sorry west london it was the west coast of ireland which was in those days a 15 hour journey yeah oh, yeah so oh, you, you'd go over by ferry and drive yeah yeah it was it was pretty brutal in those days <laughs> i was getting there yeah but oh, that you you got to know your cousins and all your yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we had great yeah. summers great summers long summers mm -hmm. on the beach and in caravans and yeah, having a few adventures. In a way, you just couldn't do that in the suburbs of West London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's not really the same. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah. You, were, you were a teacher. Yeah. And, and what did you say you were teaching, sorry? I taught drama and a bit of English um, and a little bit of music, actually, in a, in a boys' school in South East London, Dartford mm -hmm. Grammar School for Boys, oh, which is where, is where the Rolling Stones where the Rolling Stones met so really? uh, that's I always enjoyed that uh it was great I didn't I didn't know any difference I was mm -hmm. 21 and the thought now of going in age 21 to a boys school to set up a drama department and teach uh is is quite Very frightening daunting, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so whereas so, then yeah. it was just like sure sure I'll, I'll give this a whirl I'll go for it and I really enjoyed it it taught me so much about managing time and resource and human beings and mm. space and even simple things like administration and timetabling, mm -hmm. all yeah. of which proved invaluable when it came then to going out on my own as a freelance theatre director. And yeah. I, bet, I bet the boys fancied you too. I couldn't <laughs> possibly comment on any of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, 21, you know, yeah. you'd be hot stuff. <laughs> At the time, you know, you, you just don't, uh, none of that entered my head. I was just, yeah, doing yeah, a job. I just, I, I was delighted. I had a job. Yeah, of and course. I could, and I could make some money. So, you know, I managed to buy a teeny little flat and a car and all of that, you know, and suddenly I was oh, grown up. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. what changed then? How long were you there? I was there for about four or five years and um, and I had a kind of premature midlife crisis where in my late twenties, I thought, is this it? Is this, is this it then? And, um, and peers of mine who'd gone into the industry, who, um, who hadn't taken the, the safer option, though I love teaching, there was that bit of me that was ambitious for something else. Like if I could do anything, what would I really want to do? And what I really wanted to do was make theater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, I sold my flat and wow. my yeah. And I moved in with my parents and I went and studied at drama school. Oh my yeah. God. That was yeah. a big thing to do. Yeah. Do you, have, um, do you have any theater pieces or shows that you saw that, you can remember feeling this is what I want to do or was yeah it, definitely so things like um mnemonic that complicity made things like um Robert Lepage did some great big shows that came to the Midlands um mm -hmm. there's a, a, a theatre company called Forced Entertainment who were as cool as any kind of rock band <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That. And this was stuff that you saw during university and yeah, and when and I was you, teaching and when you were teaching. Yeah. 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 So you were still kind of keeping your foot in. 
yeah. yeah. And when you were when you were teaching drama, yeah, that probably got you into directing, did it? That's exactly right. What happened was I would direct the um, the school shows. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I was directing. Yeah, I was directing big shows with with sixth formers and secondary school pupils, and that's exactly right. That's how I started directing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, did you course. did you realise that you enjoyed that? Yes. <laughs> the power. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I didn't feel as exposed and self-conscious as I did when I'd been acting. I just mm -hmm. felt much, much safer. Yeah, yeah. And, and was, did that make you realise that you could make a career in that? Well, that made me think, you only live once, you better give it a go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so, so you went I, back to study and how long yeah. was that for? I did, a, I did one year masters at Central School of Speech and Drama. Oh, cool. And, um, and at the end of that, I formed a little company, a theatre company, and, um, and things happened very quickly after that for yeah. me. Yeah. 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 So you worked, at, you worked at the Donmar? I did, yeah. I am. Um, was was yeah. that, that must have been in the, in the 80s, was it? That was in the mid nineties, I think it would be. Oh, hang on, let me think. Let me think when that would be. I would be about. Uh, no, it would be after that. It'd be about two thousand and five, something like that. Oh, really? Mm. Later that? Yeah, I'm, I can't think of the exact years, but I'd graduate. I'd, I'd done my masters, and I'd done a couple of years out assisting, and then I won an award. Um, to work at the, the Donmar. It was a bursary for someone to come and train at the Donmar for a year. And it was Sam oh. Mendes' final year as artistic director there. So I got to assist him and he kept me on for an extra six months. I went to New York and assisted on shows with him oh. there. Yeah. Wow. Did, you learn, did you learn a lot from him? Um, I learned an awful lot from him and also from the actors that being his assistant meant I was in the room with, you know, people just, yeah, crazy, crazy brilliant actors like Simon Russell Beale and Helen McClory and uh, McCrory and Mark Strong and Gwyneth Paltrow and, you know, real, yeah, wow. incredible actors. Yeah. You got any dirt on Gwyneth? <laughs> <laughs> Katie. She was, she was the most wonderful woman she was so kind to me because when I worked with her there were only four actors in the company and uh -huh. she just done Shakespeare in love she was a big deal yeah and she as I found with the most you know the highest profile actors they're the ones with the least to prove so she's just a really low-key quiet gentle wow. funny human yeah yeah so she was, I mean she was gorgeous yeah wow amazing yeah. How, does it, how does it feel to have worked with those kind of people now when you look back? Yeah, it's funny. We've been watching Friends lately and um, with, with the children, introducing them to Friends. It's like a lockdown yeah. ritual that we'll watch an episode or two every day. And, um, and I've worked with a few of the people from that show and it just feels huh. like a different, just a different time. And also yeah. remembering they're just people. They're just people. Mm -hmm. Not yeah. it, it was very much a different time though, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, if you look at Sam Mendes now, I mean, he has gone on from strength to strength, hasn't he? Yeah. And I mean, obviously, he was always talented, but now he's gone stratospheric, you know? Yeah. But, but even at the time, he was pretty stratospheric. He was in Hollywood making movies. Or was he? Yeah, yeah he was. So Tom Hanks would come to our press nights. You know, it was real <laughs> exciting um, time. But mm -hmm. again, Sam has nothing to prove. He's yeah. He's kind. Of, he's so brilliant at what he does, and um, and he makes it look effortless. I think just going back to you know what did you learn? He just makes it look effortless. His work. Mm -hmm. He's got it. Whatever it is, that innate charisma. He can hold yeah. a space. He's got presence. Yeah, of course. He doesn't have to push or work or demand or um, people come to him rather than having to go and. Yeah, you're saying, um, you're talking very positively about a lot of actors, but you must have had experience in your time of working with difficult people or they're not getting your vision. And I mean, how do you 
deal with tricky situations like that where it's just not gelling have you had yeah. that experience um earlier on in in my directing career so when i started out i mean i first directed professionally i was 30 so mm. i was considered relatively young and definitely a woman and i yeah. found um it was only in those first couple of years when i was working with generally older male actors mm. who might present with some uh, issues or who clearly weren't enjoying the process he mm. would he'd just ask he would question a prob, um more than felt comfortable and often appropriate what we were doing yeah. or how we were doing it and i think also some of that was tied up with the fact that i'm not dictatorial i'm mm. i'm very happy saying i don't know and yeah. i think that kind of directing that style of leadership can be mistaken or misread for um weakness yeah well i was going to yeah. say that i imagine that your directing style is very calm yes <laughs> yeah i i can imagine that you're not you're not the type that would blow your gasket about something you would just explain how you want it done quite calmly and if they don't understand that you know yeah i, I think it's but I think you're direct enough to get that. And obviously when people see the results, they mm. know that what you're saying is good. I think that's right, that once you have a, a reputation or you're proven as a director, mm -hmm. people feel safer. So maybe that was tied up with when I was starting out and I didn't have a body of work behind me or awards behind me or uh, yeah. all the reviews behind me. Uh, you're a bit more fair game, <laughs> mm -hmm, yeah. but once you're established and people uh, keep employing you, of course, I, think, yeah. I think people feel that safer. Yeah, yeah. but and also but, I think a lot of a lot of directors and actors, a lot of rehearsal rooms get off on conflict. Like it's quite fiery and it's about power games and and I mm -hmm. always say when I'm auditioning actors, I don't work like that. Mm -hmm. Like um, you, you tell them that. Yeah, I'm not because I, I I will ask actors how do you like to work, mm -hmm. um, and I I just trust actors. I don't think it's my job to tell them what to do. Um, yeah. It's my job just to allow them to to be and to work out what they need to do. Um, and so I think I think I think that's right, Karen. People do describe me as calm, mm -hmm. and um, well, you yeah. do have that calm persona about you, yeah. and yeah. I mean. I don't know, but I'm, I just think there's not as many divas around now. <laughs> well, you hope. Yeah. And I have to say, in all the years that I've done the Gilded Balloon, I've always wanted to work with the nicest people. Yeah. But, I mean, what's the point, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I know it's amazing to get good results, but if they are difficult, you know. Yeah. And it is amazing. I'm still amazed at the stories I hear about how people in our industry behave to each other yeah yeah I'm still i'm still i'm i'm still quite shocked about, mm -hmm. about that yeah of course because and how and well, how do you choose your jobs how do you decide what you want to work on um mm. do you, does stuff just come to you or do you kind of actively seek out people um i think when now i'm a freelancer um things things tend to come my way i don't really have the uh, the time or inclination anymore really to go out and be searching for things but things would come you say my way. that you were like that before like in your early career were you no earlier on i would go out and seek i was a bit hungrier for self-starting things because because other, otherwise okay. it wasn't going to happen if i didn't go out and make it happen nobody was going to ask me to do it yeah <laughs> whereas course. now i feel um I'm, I'm at a stage where people come will come to me with things and also mm. i've got a full-time job now running a drama school so yeah of I, I also have capacity there to invite people in and work on projects there i'm still able to commission writers i'm collaborating on new projects with the barbican and so I've, i think i've got the best of both worlds now yeah mm. Of course. It sounds very exciting, actually. Yeah, it feels exciting. It feels like we're 
we're on the edge of pioneering something new there somewhere yeah. between artist training and the industry and that's that's where i think the future might lie mm -hmm. yes. i think so, our salvation as an industry might be there so after that year at yeah. the donmar um was it pentabus after that uh after i was at the donmar i did a few smaller freelance gigs and then i was asked to go and work at the royal court so i was there for about two years and was that amazing that was unbelievable unbelievable i won an award called the james menzies kitchen award for a production and um the literary manager of the royal court came to see it and liked it and then introduced me to the artistic director at the time ian rickson and we just hit it off so he, he asked me to come in and um, cover for an associate director and that then became a full-time job in the international department. But I knew nothing really about new writing at that point. I wasn't um, particularly well-traveled and suddenly I found myself working with international writers on new work. <laughs> so yeah. it was a massive learning curve and um, yeah, an extraordinary, privilege to be there at that time and yeah it uh, i kind of learnt my craft there really my real high level craft mm -hmm. it sounds like a huge variety you've had in in the theater industry you yeah know, lots of different which is is great it's important you know yeah i think that's true i i i, I sort of was so lucky just this series of invitations and opportunities presented themselves to me um, once I'd done my masters and I do look back on it and think how the hell did that happen but at the time I didn't realize how lucky and how profound it all was really it's only now I look back and think wow look what look what came your way <laughs> yeah yeah, it's, yeah. Hey, it's really good yeah um and then the travers came along what made you move to edinburgh of all places <laughs> in the world although travers has such a brilliant reputation but um, yeah i suppose it was the reputation really i was i was a, a new writing director by that point that's really what what i was and um i'd been running a, a small touring company dedicated to new writing and I think also I was quite flattered that I was approached about the job. Mm -hmm. um, you were headhunted. Well, yeah. as they, uh, yeah, some, something along those lines, but somebody called me and said, have you seen that this job is coming up and would you think about it? Would you like to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Once someone puts that kind of idea uh, into a brain, it's hard then to ignore it. So, yeah. I thought, well, I'll, I'd love to give this a whirl. Um, and once I met um, with various people who were working in and around the Traverse and got to understand more about the organisation, I kind of fell in love with the idea of, of that job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I was still, comp I think I went into shock when it was offered to me. I never believed I'd get it. Yeah. But I knew that I really wanted it yeah Fab. and so you relocated your life yeah we were living on a farm um you had got married by this time yeah we'd, we'd got married and we were living on a farm in rural herefordshire a beautiful idyllic rural oh. remote location overlooking the black mountains in spain in spain in Wales. <laughs> uh, that's me just needing to get out and and i had a, <laughs> I had a, um, a one-year-old child mm -hmm. and um again i love change and I, I i i'm a firm believer in you know you've got to follow your dreams you've got to think big you've got to be ambitious mm -hmm. you only live once so yeah we said come on then let's do it let's see where this takes us and yeah yeah what are we now nearly 10 years later we're still we're in edinburgh we've got two scottish children yeah. <laughs> can't imagine living anywhere else we just love this city so it's, much um, such a beautiful city isn't it yeah and the pleasure just from the just from the aesthetic of it mm -hmm. the pleasure yeah. just from looking out and seeing yeah 
and seeing it, that skyline and that sky. It's, yeah. um, it's such an honor actually to, to live here. Mm -hmm. But for you, did you tire of the Traverse? Was it time to move on? Um, it's a massively overwhelming and demanding job running um, any building, any company. Mm -hmm. And the festival itself, just that in itself was a full-time job, as you'll yeah. well know. Yeah, curating and overseeing and um, alongside making my own work. Oh, no, um, yeah, you were directing as well. Yeah, and having two young children. So it was, it was yeah. a huge um, responsibility and it was just a magnificent time. I was talking to somebody last weekend about what it was like and uh, it was overwhelming and challenging but what a privilege and I'm so proud of the work that I made and the festivals that I curated um a lot I of work a lot it was a work. lot of work it was a yeah. lot of work and I felt I'd done what I came there to do which was to establish the next generation of Scottish playwrights mm -hmm. you know and that and that over those six year, years, we'd found the next generation. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose as, as has been the pattern of my life, I thought, well, what's next? <laughs> yeah. What, where now, what, what next? Mm -hmm. and, um, and I got a phone call about the Guildhall and, um, and that just lit something in my brain, which was about the future of theatre really about where, that responsibility lies and a, a, a real sense in my bones that it lies with the next generation it's not with us it's not mm -hmm. with the you know the leaders it's our responsibility to enable and invite sort of the grassroots to come and reimagine it and make it fly yeah and so that was my offer really to to Guildhall and I'm a bit of an intervention I suppose in some <laughs> ways but artist training uh, but but that's my provocation like mm -hmm. so how how has the situation with covid and two months um in lockdown how has that disturbed your time of of teaching students yeah. Yeah. i mean yeah how, it, i mean it seems completely because you can't do everything from home but maybe you can i don't know well, I think we've had to find a way through it. Two months ago, we were just baffled and in shock and concerned about how the hell we could possibly deliver, say, actor training remotely. And look, two months later, we are delivering actor training remotely. They have a movement warm-up session every morning, a voice warm-up session every morning. They're working with directors and actors and teachers um, every day. And we're finding a way, they're devising work, they're exploring text, they're, they've been unbelievably um, resilient and tenacious and generous, those students, because it's been very hard, because they're, they're also dealing with the world and their family and having mm -hmm. been free and away studying it a conservatoire now they're back home again yeah of course so there's all of that that they're dealing with but um but we found a way through it and um our challenge is to ensure that doesn't feel like a compromise but it feels like an authentic and worthwhile endeavor mm -hmm. and i think that's been about the kind of people we've invited to come in and work with them and and, and the opportunity it's given us is that some people who live on the other side of the world or who have very busy schedules are now suddenly available to us because we're operating online. Yeah, which is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's actually the opportunity that it's presented has to like, you have to utilize what this kind of opportunity. The yeah. only thing that, that all of them must be thinking and we're all thinking is when can we do live theater again? Or mm. when, can, when can there be people on stage and an audience? And yeah how big will that audience be because you know social distancing you know every theater might have to go to 50 percent capacity and yeah and how does that work 
the financial side of it. I mean, it's terrifying. Uh, yeah, it it's is terrifying, terrifying. If that is your full, I mean, we will not be doing the fringe until 2021. Yeah. And even then we don't know what that fringe is going to look like. Yeah. I think 2019, you know, there was three and a half thousand shows and, you know, 2 million people coming into Edinburgh, you know, and obviously the finances of all that, what in hell's name is going to happen? But we yeah. only kind of know the venue side of it, don't we? I mean, how is it for actors and, you know, everyone else that's involved in theatre? How, how is everyone, yeah. how are they feeling? Um, I think, I think for professional actors, it's a very, very difficult time. Mm. And writers and directors, the freelancers have all just been, it's like yeah. a tap's been turned off. Exactly. And, yeah. um, you know, I had three freelance productions, productions this year, they've all been postponed or um, moved. Mm -hmm. And that will be the same for every other freelancer out there. So I yeah. think it's, it's, it's like from not, suddenly nothing, it's not even been a gradual shift, no. just no. snap off. Yeah, I know. So I think people are in shock and I think um, I think people are thinking about their survival in the most basic way. Like they're thinking about income and accommodation oh, no. and, and food and yeah. 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 I mean, yes, I think the shock is still there and it's I mean I I the what you've done uh, at Guildhall is amazing that you've managed to put all these uh, steps in place that they're mm. getting their voice but that's brilliant. And that's only in two months. So I suppose in the next six months, we will all be looking at a different world or what, you know, I just can't imagine it at the moment or, no. or imagine how we'll all financially survive unless there's um, people out there that want to support us and help, you know, but Otherwise, I mean, yes, the government is doing the furloughing and everything, and that's helpful, but... Yeah. I think there's something about, if you think about the long, long term, it's like climbing a mountain, isn't it? And you can't see the top of it. You're just climbing and climbing. And there's something... I spoke to someone this morning. He said, you just got to take it one step at a time. Just keep mm -hmm. going forward, just yeah. day by day, rather yeah. than thinking about, all right, the next five years. It's just overwhelming or it's unthinkable because it's unknowable. It yeah. But what we do know is the next week, probably, or the next two weeks. And I don't know. I found yeah. that quite comforting this morning. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah it's un it's unthinkable what we're facing and i think there's we are still in shock so we're not able to move forward yet because we're still processing it and there's grief there's grief mm. because it's gone yeah and some of it we won't get back i know and it may not come back the way that we think it you know yeah. the way that it was yeah. yeah i mean a vaccine could obliterate it and then we could go back but i still think people will be scared you know and and also everybody's lost so much money so there won't yeah be, mm -hmm. you know yeah. It, how do you feel about the stuff that's happening online have you engaged with much of it as no. in the shows and everything i mean no i i am um, it feels a bit too raw <laughs> at yeah. the moment yeah um, I, I honestly find it hard to appreciate theater online mm. it's very yeah. difficult to get the it's not as engaging it's not as all-consuming because mm. you're sitting on your sofa on your phone and watching it you know you can never get that full experience that you can mm. in the theater i mean i think comedy is slightly different i mean stand-up comedy is impossible because you don't have the laughter coming back but mm. storytelling and action and you know visual things all that works but actual going through a story you know that you want to watch live you know i mean the national theater have been putting on quite a few things yeah mm -hmm. yeah but well, i have doing it for heard. free as well which has been good yeah yeah and i and their and their viewing figures are huge like there's yeah, a huge they? appetite for for it so there's a there's a useful conversation there about access and why it isn't always like that you know that yeah. So, yeah. so people can access that main stage, big budget work. But um, mm -hmm. I've just been 
watching Netflix and listening to loud music. That's, <laughs> they're the art forms that get me through. I, I, watching theatre online is it just doesn't. I'm not quite. I'm not quite there yet. It. Yeah. I understand that. I think and of course, uh, you are married to uh, a lovely man, Steve, who works in television. I am. Um, does he not try and pull you into television? No, I've, I've, um, I've thought about television, but you have to get up too early in the morning and I'm such a <laughs> nightbird. I mean, seriously. <laughs> That's great. Those early, early starts and those cold, cold mornings, I think... Um, I think the hours on set are very difficult for any semblance of family life. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm a theatre human. I'm a live, I'm a live mm -hmm. performance human. I know that. I would, I would have loved to have made music videos. That's the one thing I wish yeah. I found an avenue into. But TV, I, I love watching TV, but I have no inclination to make yeah. it. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And you have two beautiful children. Thank you. Are, are, yes. are you self-educating uh, at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's called homeschooling. Homeschooling. Are you, <laughs> are you homeschooling with them at the moment? After a fashion. <laughs> there are many forms of education, aren't there? It can take many forms and directions. And so we've quite a loose understanding between us of what constitutes homeschooling and often yeah. it's going for a walk or um telling some jokes or playing a ukulele mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a bit of maths and english or science but yeah. um yeah sometimes it's singing a song or looking out the window together so it it takes and and they did get a playstation for easter so that to be fair has taken up some of them um, <laughs> time to yeah yeah i can imagine but now how old is he is he's five is six six he's six and so he's, in his nine. Second, he's in his second year no he's he's p, well he's p1 no yeah. he's in p1 yeah, yeah. But it's funny because we do we've started doing well this is our eighth episode of gilded balloon sofa set list which is an online we've just asked performers to send clips uh-huh and rob rouse who was on in the west end in upstart crow when the lockdown and yeah. he's at home with nothing you know no insurance no income you know and so he just got some chickens and you know <laughs> growing things and anyway he did a brilliant piece um of homeschooling with his two children a uh, little girl and a little boy and he reversed the roles and they were to be become the teachers and it's absolutely hilarious in fact i think evan would find it very funny okay yeah. Um, yeah, it's good. A lot of fart jokes in it. <laughs> well, yeah, that's Evan. You, you've got him. You, yeah, it's on our our. Um, if you just go to Gilda Bloom YouTube, show Evan, see what you think. Okay, uh, I will. Um, I'll do that. Uh, Rob's wife is a children's writer. Okay. So, uh, children's books. So they're mm. lovely. They're absolutely lovely. Um, yeah. So. Going back to your lovely mother, who is she still teaching? Is she retired? Is she? Oh no, she um, she worked at the bank when I was little, and then she became a carer. So she used to look okay. after. I, I said teaching. Did I? Sorry. Mm, that's all right. No, I did a bit of teaching, but she was a she she worked for a charity, and then she she was a carer up until a couple of years ago, where mm -hmm. she'd go and give respite care to people. Uh, who were looking after wow. elderly or unwell relatives. Yeah. So she, is mm -hmm. she, but she's retired now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not she's on the front line. She's not on the front line. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So if you were going to, um, what life lessons would you say your mother has passed on to you and that you would pass on to your children? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, she was hard... She is still hardworking. Mm -hmm. She yeah. loved her home. Like home mm -hmm. was the place to be. And I think we, we feel that, that home is our favourite place to be. Yeah. And to make a comfortable home full mm -hmm. of candles <laughs> and, and a sense of occasion that we celebrate every Friday evening is a celebration. And oh, great. Christmas is a big deal. Birthdays are to be anticipated and... Um, enjoyed mm -hmm. so a sense of occasion i think and also she was she is the kindest woman i know the kindest human i know 
And I remember yeah. at my at my wedding, I, I gave a little speech and I said it was, you know, I felt so privileged that I could say that about my mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think yeah. she's taught me the importance of generosity and kindness. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have yeah. to say here and now, every time you've been at my house, you always send me a little note yeah. <laughs> card. And it's something that must have been instilled in you by yeah. your mother. Yeah. That you always send a thank you card. And I always feel guilty if I never do it. <laughs> it's terrible. It's no, that's classic. That's classic, my mother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now you write a wee note. Yeah. You'll be yeah. saying it in what is it is it uh, what's her Irish accent? Oh my gosh, some of my friends still can't understand what my parents are saying. They still have really rich do they? Um, yeah. yeah, pure West Coast of Ireland accent. So right. it's very funny. I often have to interpret still. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, God. You've never got any of it. No. <laughs> but the kids, you take the kids over to the West of Ireland? Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Great. They love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've got all of them. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Well, what I'd like to say is you keep on doing what you're doing and you make yeah. sure that you find these all these new actors and yeah. they will be ve- they are very privileged to have you as their <laughs> mentor and teacher yeah. and Thanks, Karen. No, but it's true. <laughs> God, you you know, you've done some great work and you have to keep on doing it. Yeah. And I'm keep I, on I, keeping on. Yeah, I love the fact that all these leaps of faith. Mm. you know big strides all women should do it yeah yeah risk takers yeah yeah Katie and I have been going through one day up one day down and yeah you know, every day you know you feel like oh god it's but by talking together and you know looking on the internet and thinking of ideas, you know, I mean, we are going to get there, but I don't know how, Mm. but the Gilded Balloon is not going to die. Of course it won't. But as you say, it's it's one day at a time, isn't it? We just have to see what happens. Yeah. I think there's one step at a a time. That's all we can do. As long as we're going forwards. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're in the right direction. And if anyone's going to do it, it's you two. (laughs) God. Thank you so much, Orla. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you.